0: Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT News of the Week. That's why we call it Gestalt IT. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino, and joining me from across this great land of ours, of yours, of mine, of everyone that's a U.S. American, we have, of course, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, thanks for being on.
1: Thanks for having me, Rich. I am apparently enjoying the Ides of March much better than Caesar.
0: It's true. Uh, you know, if we want to get into this, I know a lot about the Roman calendar. And on some months, the Ides uh, fall on the 12th. Some of them, they fall on the 15th. Some of them, they, they fall all over. It's really just to commemorate the halfway point of the mark. There's the calends, which was the start of the month. It's very complicated. It involves planting in the moon. I don't want to get into it. This is the Gesholtai Tee Rundown, where we don't talk about calendars that don't matter to anyone but Shakespeare. Uh, we First off, we're going to be going into a story that... I think we've talked, literally, we've talked to death uh, because Qualcomm and Broadcom, um, it's its the merger we all wanted to never end. And it seemed like we were getting there. Uh, unfortunately for Broadcom's interests, at least, uh, President Trump had enough of it and uh, released an order basically saying that for national security reasons, uh, Broadcom could not acquire Qualcomm. the The background to this is that the understanding was that the 5G market uh, would be uh, would have ceded control over to Chinese interests uh, with uh, Broadcom not really taking as much of an interest in 5G standards as Qualcomm would. And that would, uh, you know, imperil uh, information infrastructure going forward. Tom, this seemed to, I mean, there was some the Treasury Department had gotten involved. This seems to have kind of um, come out of nowhere. I could understand this being a concern, but to kill it outright um, seemed a little sudden to me.
1: Yeah, there was, there was rumblings that, that Broadcom was trying to do another kind of end run around some of the Cephas stuff. Um, just for those of you who don't know, Cephas is the uh, Committee for Investigating Foreign Investments in the U.S. Um, Cephas was going to oversee when Broadcom brought Brocade. And the way that they got around it is they said, oh, we'll, we'll move our headquarters to, um, to Silicon Valley. And they actually ended up incorporating in Delaware, with their headquarters being in Silicon Valley. And and they stood on stage with the president and said, "Hey, we're we're investing in the U.S." Which was evidently good enough for Fiber Channel, but not good enough for five G, because uh, Broadcom even uh, accelerated their boards uh, or the decision to move the headquarters. They were trying to get into the U.S. two days before the Qualcomm board uh, elections, and Cephas released a statement saying that they think that this is bad for national security. And the president just said, "Enough is enough. I'm done with this." Okay, so now what? Because believe it or not, um, I know you're going to laugh at this with the stock market. Brocade stock bounced, and Qualcomm stock didn't because somebody was unhappy that they weren't going to get cashed out when Brocade did their takeover. I'm sorry, not Brocade, Qualcomm. Well, what's, really,
0: <laughs> what's What's really interesting to me is is a couple of different things. One is you know the the government getting involved, not just saying that. You know this. I can understand almost from a monopoly perspective, right? That happens all the time, right? That's the reason uh, Sprint and T-Mobile didn't get together, right? It would it would create an uncompetitive landscape, monopoly, too much. Or I'm sorry, uh, AT and T right was going to buy T-Mobile. Whatever, there was going to be too much consolidation in, in the in the telecom market. That, to some degree, I understand from competitive reasons. But this is it's there's a little bit more of a 3D chess going on, right? Because it wasn't that Qualcomm was going to get out of the 5G, uh, you know, out of the 5G market. It was that the intention of Broadcom was not to take it quite as seriously to their core business as Qualcomm, which therefore would open the door, you know, to that. And then, and then some of the other stipulations that I thought were very interesting was that all of the board members that Broadcom had kind of set up to sit on uh, Qualcomm's board um, can't stand for election at all, which seems to very much get involved with corporate, like the government getting involved with corporate governance. I mean, theoretically the reason uh, these people were standing for there is because they were, they had, Purchase major shares uh, of of Qualcomm, they have an interest in Qualcomm outside of necessarily their ties to Broadcom. It, it just seems very heavy handed um, overall in terms of uh, of a regulation and again not it's it's not like a direct thing of you know they're going to immediately kill this if they buy it i'm also surprised we didn't see more talk of you know of, of Broadcom maybe throwing out we 'll spin off you know certain assets and create you know a, a jointly owned company that will be uh you know entirely independent or something like that to to try and get this going but you know maybe they're they announced that they're officially done uh with this idea which 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 seems weird to me. Um, and uh, you know, it, it appears to be dead for all intents and purposes. Which got really weird for a second because right before this came out, there was some talk that Intel was going to buy Broadcom or was looking to buy Broadcom in what would have been an, another order of magnitude larger acquisition than this already gargantuan acquisition. So some really weird stuff going on uh, in in the wake of the death of this ac- of this merger.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to be interested to see if Intel continues to to pursue that or if Intel turns around and tries to buy Qualcomm, which is totally. A thing that could happen, Of course, we know how well Qualcomm feels about that. But I'd be interested to see you know whether or not the u s or Chinese um weigh in on Intel buying Broadcom because you know that could kind of give you an indication of where they feel like their their headquarters really exists versus where it's physically located.
0: So- yeah, where the, where the taxes are going temporarily for five minutes. Um, yeah, it, well, th- and I think that would cause all sorts of problems because that would be a real consolidation of the modem market, and I think you would see a lot of U.S. companies uh, not willing to see that kind of consolidation if Intel were to go after Broadcom. Um, yeah. But in more, in more positive, um, but perhaps just as hardware-related news, Tom, it's Pi Day. I got my Raspberry Pi. It's in a case. Um, it's a security camera. So you can't really see the goodness of it, Uh, but it's Pi Day. It's an arbitrary day for Europeans. It doesn't make any sense because 14.3 doesn't really mean anything. Um, but to celebrate, the Raspberry Pi Foundation released uh, the Raspberry Pi 3B+. It had some pretty cool features, dual-band 802.11ac uh, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 4.2 support, and Bluetooth low energy. Uh, now supports officially supports power over Ethernet. Uh, you need to buy another little accessory for that, but it's not like a little weird hack-on thing that you have to do. Increase the processor speed by about 16%, not really a big deal. But it's, of course, the same $35 price that we've come to expect from the Raspberry Pi. Notably, the one thing, again, that is not added is any kind of real I.O. Everything is still running over a single USB 2.0 port. I, I uh, put out a snarky tweet that, uh, you know, gigabit Ethernet over USB 2.0 is kind of not gigabit Ethernet in any meaningful Capacity. Um, so, Tom, I'm interested. Uh, this is a, a perennial hacker tool. Uh, we've seen uh, some really interesting stuff uh, from uh, the kind of uh, uh, Kubernetes crowd building really cool clusters out of this. Does this change the game at all? I mean, I think the POE, the official PoE stuff could, uh, could make this a little bit more interesting. But, I mean, this is purely an enthusiast tool, right?
1: right now it is. I mean, we've seen some companies that have tried to build around that. Uh, the one that immediately springs to mind is Netbees. Their company presented at tech field day before, and they've got a, a wireless slash network monitor that runs off of this. I I'm, I'm interested to see what Stefano and Panos come up with, you know, having POE support, having, you know, dual band wifi. Um, you know, again, AC does not mean gigabit. So it's probably, it's still going to be fast. It's not going to be super fast compared to, you know, like a four spatial stream laptop, but you know, it's, it's knowing the capabilities of the device that you have and being able to push it. I can remember getting one of the very first Raspberry Pis. Someone gave it to me in a contest somewhere, and I looked at it. And I was like, I can't really do a whole lot with this. And now look at you know where we're at with a, a computer the size of a credit card. I mean, I could literally teach my son to program Python on a device that could be stuck to the bottom of a keyboard if I so wanted it to.
0: Yeah, that, that's the interesting thing. I, I had totally forgotten about Netbees. And- and, you know, that opens up not, not just the POE, but, yeah, having the dual band um, introduces some some interesting uh, – obviously, you're not going to be sampling on the same network, but you could do some some cool things in having, you know, discrete networks, not having to operate everything uh, over the same network. So that, that could be cool, some uh, interesting client-side uh, um, things as well. I want to see um, Alex Ellis also get his hands on these. <laughs> and do some weird open fast uh, stuff with that. That would be really cool. And again, uh, of course, it's going to be like three months before anyone can actually buy one of these because they'll sell out immediately. And the Raspberry Pi Foundation, uh, if the Raspberry Pi Zero is any indication, uh, can be a little slow to produce more. But I thought that was cool and a fun little thing to do on Pi Day. And uh, yeah, fun stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, next up, uh, we have some major AMD Ryzen problems. It's a company called... Or CTS labs, excuse me, um, basically dumped a whole bunch of security vulnerabilities on AMD and the public at large. Uh, They gave AMD 24 hours notice, um, which I've seen in security circles best practices kind of dictate 60 to 90 days to reply to or to have any kind of response to these kind of security vulnerabilities. So AMD hasn't officially announced any uh, response to these, as far as I've seen uh, to date, as of we're broadcasting right now. That may change literally uh, within a matter of minutes. Um, but it seems like AMD kind of got left in the lurch here. Let me run down uh, some of the the major uh, uh, components here. There are a whole bunch. I think there were over 25 vulnerabilities, um, but they fall under four main categories. Uh, one is called Master Key, which requires a BIOS refla- reflash that lets you execute uh, code in their secure processor. Uh, Execute code directly, uh, Tom, you and I were discussing this beforehand that, yeah, this does require a BIOS uh, reflash, which basically means you own the machine at that point anyway, if you're able to rewrite such um, some basic functionality on a device. Uh, but this does affect uh, Ryzen and Epic processors, kind of both their consumer and their enterprise-facing uh, processors. Um, and and that's probably the most major in terms of the exploit you can possibly do, uh, just be able to arbitrarily execute code.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I executed in secure enclave too, or their version of secure enclave. That's that's not a good thing.
0: Yeah, uh, the the next one up is uh, it's called Chimera. There's a couple variants of that, uh, and that affects the Promatory uh, chipset. I believe I'm pronouncing promontory, Yes, chipset, uh, and it's basically uh, AMD had gotten that from a third party manufacturer, and it's a Uh, Basically an exploit that uh, executes a backdoor from that manufacturer uh, to give you uh, uh, access to, I believe, protected memory uh, on that. Uh, And so that seems they got caught with their pants down, not realizing what exactly that chipset manufacturer was doing. The good thing I feel like about that one is they at least have a partner to go to and say, hey, fix this, like immediately. Like that to me seems, uh, uh, you know, perhaps uh, the most egg on their face, but also theoretically the easiest to fix. Uh, the other two are uh, very similar ones uh, called Ryzenfall, uh, and this uh, affects the AMD Secure OS, which talks to their version of Secure Enclave, and this lets you access protected memory. And then the other one is uh, Epic-specific. It's called Fallout, and it basically does the same thing via the bootloader. Again, a whole lot of vulnerabilities. I've seen uh, press releases from CTS Labs saying that all of these exploits uh, so far have been uh, – uh, they're not theoretical. They have successfully executed all of them. Um, you know we we've just kind of are seeing the lay of the land intel you know post meltdown inspector amd's already dealing with their own specter fixes they were very early to crow about uh, how they weren't affected by some of the meltdown stuff tom is this just the landscape we live in these are extraordinarily complex processors and people are going to find hideous uh, security vulnerabilities
1: Pretty much. They've built so much stuff into the processors now that there's no telling the the avenues you can get into. Plus, with all the security stuff that they're trying to build in in the back end, the secure enclaves, the secure processing unit stuff, it, it's just a big, tempting target. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to go all the way back to the 90s um, to quote one of my favorite movies, Hackers risk architecture is going to change everything. Well, (laughs) at this point, I think we need to get back to a little more simple processing units and find ways to kind of secure what we're working on. Because if we don't, we're going to find ourselves constantly under attack by, you know, these security researchers in some cases, and in some cases, not security researchers doing things they're not supposed to be doing. Just, you know, either they're trying to collect a bug bounty or they're trying to embarrass somebody.
0: Yeah, I have seen that. um, It's interesting, you know, we hear a lot about scale out in terms of uh, of storage and in in terms of like raw compute capacity, maybe. uh, But the idea of using scale as a security measure of, you know, uh, being able to distribute more things over simpler processors as a theoretical uh, uh, way of securing these kind of things where you can, you know, you can own the uh, the data path is the wrong word, but you can own kind of the route to the processor a little bit more and not have uh, like you said, these incredibly complex processors. But I, I feel like that's a that's a generational shift. I mean, that's not something that you know we can turn to, you know, even over the course of years. Um, that that's a that's a fundamental rethinking of computing, which doesn't do us a lot of good here. I, I do have to question uh, the politics of this. If you know how CTS is acting, obviously they want to make a big name for themselves uh in the press which they have succeeded we're talking about it so they succeeded in doing if they had given amd a lot of time uh i'm not sure if if they had some impression from amd that they weren't going to act swiftly on this and this is why they kind of forced their hand by going public so early with these uh but that does make me question their motivations as well
1: mm-hmm.
0: all right and uh, we're going to finish up uh with uh, something a little interesting Tom, have you ever wondered if your calendar application could be improved by a little crypto mining? All the time. I know. It's it's the constant thing I'm looking at when I'm looking. uh, I just use the Apple calendar. Uh, But Calendar 2, which is a fairly popular uh, calendaring app, recently introduced new features that let you get their premium features, not by paying a monthly fee or a one-time unlock uh, license or something like that. Instead, opting into crypto mining Uh, And it seems like a number of consumers were taking them up on this. Uh, They generated $2,000 over three days uh, by using this which uh, if you look at the $700,000 they've made over the past seven years is triple their average daily revenue uh, from this model. However, Apple put the – well, they've they've already uh, uh, removed it because they were getting some bad feedback uh, from users, Uh, and then Apple came in and kind of put the kibosh on it, not saying that it's illegal to do crypto mining, but that it violates their terms in basically saying, don't burn up my CPU with your app. Uh, And so they were saying from power management perspective – Ah, uh, this wasn't feasible. But Tom, I'm curious, what you think? Ah, uh, crypto mining in your calendar is—is is this just someone reaching for a fad, or I mean, they—they they made legit money and more money per day than they had over the past seven years.
1: We've we've already seen this with with uh, using crypto mining to replace uh, web ads. It's it's the not it's a hot new craze. Everybody wants to go mine for Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever the next Dogecoin is going to be. Um, it's. In theory, it works out. And I mean, this was not some kind of shady, we're gonna sneak this in thing. It, I saw the, the the screenshot from calendar two and it was very blatant. It said, unlock all of our features for free by agreeing to be a crypto miner. Now, what happened is, is that the library that they borrowed and I forget the name of the company who uses it, I think it was like DigiKey or something. Um, they didn't implement it properly. And so what was happening was, is, yeah, the calendar was spiking CPUs to like 85, 90% of their utilization which if anybody who has a Mac out there knows that basically turns your fans on, that's when you know you hit max processor utilization. And so that people were saying, our Mac is sluggish, we can't use it like we used to, what's going on, that's when they started doing the investigation. But realistically speaking, you know, $18 to unlock the calendar, oh, well, that's too much. Free if I agree to let you do crypto mining for a little bit, okay, fine. So maybe the solution to this problem is not, let me do crypto mining on your calendar forever, Maybe it's, let me do crypto mining for a week. Let me do crypto mining for a month. Maybe or, I or hit,
0: hit a specific hash number, you know, yeah, like so exactly. many hashes.
1: And, and that will give them a, a guaranteed revenue stream. The problem is, you're right, they made two grand in three days. How much would they have made if they would have gone for 30? You know, extrapolate that out. They would have made a lot more than it cost to develop the program, and they wouldn't have been adding new features to it. You know, this is, this is the new subscription model. Just let us mine Bitcoins in your browser or your processor for a while, and we'll rake in the cash until the market crashes, and, you know, we'll just be rich. Yeah, it
0: it does seem that, uh, well, you know, but on the other hand, one of the problems that we have with uh, popular applications that maybe don't get uh, a ton of support is, you know, there isn't a lot of financial motivation for, for innovation of new features, whereas if you have a steady revenue stream theoretically, you can be much more aggressive uh, with, uh, you know, again, how many new features are you adding to a calendar app? That's a whole other thing. Uh, but um, there there has to be a way to to make this work that is uh, great for – that can be have a positive user experience that won't kill your battery, that won't cause your fan to be buzzing all the time. Maybe it's, you know, it only starts mining when it you're inactive for five minutes and it has a five-minute timeout. Um, you know, CoinHive had this interesting model, and, and to go back to them, I, I'm always curious – they had such they have such audacity with the with the idea of replacing web ads with crypto mining. But one of the things that they did was instead of a recapture, uh, they did it was basically a a crypto mining captcha where you click a box, it mines to a certain hash rate, usually it's like five hundred twelve hashes or something very small, but it's a, one it's enough to uh, to put off any bot that's going to be uh, you know trying to do your form, and two it it does you know over the long term provide you know, fractions of a fractions of a fractions of a penny of revenue. uh, You know, maybe there's something along those lines where, you know, each time you add a calendar appointment, it, uh, you know, it it does some sort of mining or, you know, uh, like you said, when you open the app or when you close the app or something, something along those lines, but yeah, just having it on all the time and being poorly implemented. Yeah. Not, not good on calendar two's part. All right. Well, that just about does it for the gestalt IT rundown for this week. Uh, The, the, You know, uh, Tom, you blew up my phone as soon as that Qualcomm Broadcom thing came through, uh, and uh, we'll miss it. Uh, We'll have to send it off. Uh, We'll toast to it tonight, I think. Um, We hardly knew ye giant chip conglomerate that would have taken over everything. Uh, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time with your IT News of the Week. Uh, Until then, you can find us at gestaltit.com.